Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, Wheat versus Iron, Love versus Hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud, and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Welcome to From the 55-Yard Line with Greg here, and I'm with Scott, and uh, we just wrapped up a very great interview with Rich Podolsky, who wrote the great book about the NFL Today, the original NFL Today called You Are Looking Live. So, But before we go into that, into that interview, and that again, that was a great interview. Uh, Scott, don't you think that's, that, that was one where you and I just, it brought back a lot of good memories? Oh, yeah, and it was based Hey, how are you? I'm good. Boom. Here's history. Yes. I mean, yeah, it was fantastic. Yes. Just knows so much. And, and the way he told the stories, I think people are really going to like it. Well, and I'm happy too. I got to ask about Jane Kennedy because, you know, I had a, (laughs) I had a crush on her when I was 12. So that that was, that was like, uh, before we wrapped up, I've got to ask about Jane Kennedy. We talk about Jimmy the Greek. We talk about, and for CFL people that are listening here, we talk some CFL history and, uh, we talk about Winnipeg Blue Bomber history, and we uh, we talk about the great. I bear with me here. I, I apologize. I uh, 
Just got, and we talk about Indian Jack Jacobs with um, former Oklahoma Sooner, former Green Bay Packer, and most importantly, former Winnipeg, well, Winnipeg Blue Bomber, like I said. And uh, so he told us a great story just about his career. And, and then we moved in and talked about his career at the NFL today. Uh, all the people he knew, we talked about Jimmy the Greek. So just it's if if you like history, I think if you like and we cover both CFL history and NFL history on this one, which uh, made it even better. It was a it was it was a double bonus. So so, Scott, how you been, buddy? Good, good. How are you? How did you, you have a nice uh, Thanksgiving holiday? Not bad. Yeah, got to see all, pretty much all the games. Of course, the Bears game was the only one worth. I think, well, I missed the second game because we were eating, but uh, obviously the Bears game, you know, had on down here. Unfortunately, I had the Detroit defense and fantasy football, so it didn't go so well for me. <laughs> oh, poor Detroit. Poor, poor Detroit. But then again, I'm a Jets fan. So, I, you know, you can feel yeah. sorry for me too. Although they did win. Yay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, we're at that point in the NFL season where pretty much every team is in, even what was it the other day? Um, so they were talking on the radio. It's like, yeah, the bears have a chance. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> Just if you look at the way the playoffs are shaking out, there's still that outside one in a million chance that the bears could actually get in. It won't happen yeah. after this week against the card against my Cardinals won't happen, but uh, should be an interesting game. I know uh, our buddy uh, Joe Zimba is really going to be watching that game because he's got two of his hometown teams in it. I just want to time jump and go and get to the playoffs now. I mean, because it's yeah. – of course, my issue as a Jazz fan was settled, you know, week one. But Right, as were your anyway. Ticats last week. Well, no, your Ticats won, so you know, we got them won. going they against won. the Argos. Yeah, so. uh, I shouldn't say that. I was. I apologize. But, yeah, we still got – it's going to be a good game between the Argos. And I heard the stadium's uh, going to be sold out. I hope so. I mean, that's yeah, it's a great rivalry anyway. I was I was very happy. I did get to see it because it was on ESPN two. So that was one one game I did get to watch. Of course, the great game afterwards, which was one of the best games of the year, I didn't get to see because it's ESPN news and I don't get that. Oh, so. but wait a minute. It, yeah, you're right. No, I, won't well, see, was, I won't be able to see either of the finals this week, the Eastern or the Western final. Right. I won't be able to watch either. So I think originally it was supposed to be on ESPN Plus, and I was doing um, doing a video cast, um, and uh, we were talking, and I couldn't find it, but eventually I did find it. It was, you know, like I said, it was on ESPN News, so I got to watch the end of the game. Great game, yeah, great game. Um, what do you think of CFL season so far? I mean, it's I know it's only 14 games, and it just seems like there's a lot of I've heard. Too many complaints about bad football, but honestly, I I don't I haven't seen bad football at least from what my perspective. Well, for me, it's just and again, I haven't hit all the games that would normally hit, but a, a lot of them just weren't as entertaining as I'd hoped. They weren't as high scoring, you know, not necessarily right. Well, bad the, football, but you know, just not just not the kind of football that keeps me engaged like the yeah. CFL normally does. So, well, they yeah. seem to, in a way, I guess, kind of regress back to, you know, a lot more. The, the scores were obviously lower. I mean, the NFL, we all know, has turned into a CFL-type league with this type of style. So so hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully next season we'll see a definite improvement in play. But with that said, I mean, who knows? I mean, the way things have been going lately, new variants, we, uh, we don't know what's going on. Um, I know just recently there was a few things, and I know there was I was engaged in a little bit of a Twitter war the other day, which I know you stayed out of. But with the talk of the Ar- the, the rumor mill about the Argos going to the XFL, thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, the thing I had heard 
frankly, I wasn't even following that rumor. I had heard someone mention, and this might have just some rando, that, you know, the NFL is thinking about expanding to 36. So they were talking about Toronto as being one of the four. Right. And that intrigued me because I thought, yeah, yeah I mean, that that's always seemed like a next step possibility. I mean, if the, if the NFL ever goes to 36 teams, yeah. I think Toronto obviously would be a choice. Right. Um, but well, and then also know, to factor in, and I apologize, I didn't mean to well, go ahead, finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean I didn't I didn't really have a thought. I mean, as far as the XFL stuff, I mean, all that's just whatever. I mean, you know. Well, a part of me even thinks too, I mean, we don't really have the Buffalo Bill Stadium situation's not finally cleared. And if, if a team were to move for stadium purposes, I mean, I could easily see the Bills just moving across the lake and you know, the Bills just becoming playing Canada's team. I mean, that to me, I think would make the most sense. I mean, you could keep at least or even just move across to Niagara and keep that or even Hamilton and just keep that big metro area. But with that said, if that I mean, to me, that's the only I can't see the XFL going to Canada, getting the Argos and being a success. I mean, let's face it. And as much as we want you know, spring football to succeed, history has obviously shown us that, you know, after that midseason, I mean, interest kind of tapers off. So, I mean, my my opinion is I don't think the – I just think it's just a lot of gra- crap that's being posted out there with rumors. Nothing's based on fact. And as you know, as a sports writer, facts ultimately do matter. And I know in my, you know, in my professions, facts matter too. And nobody's given me anything but hype. Um, when I've read stuff, nobody has given given anything but guesses, um, maybe's wishful thinking. So that's where I think we're at. So I guess we'll wait well, and see. Yeah, I mean that's all. That's the only can be when it comes to the XFL or USFL or whatever. I mean the XFL. Yeah, we now know names of teams, but you know it's been a month since they were supposed to announce Birmingham as the hub. They still haven't done that, so I don't right. know if that deal fell through or if they're just waiting for some you know, grand announcement. And as far as the XFL, I know they're hiring front office people, yeah. but I still don't really know, you know, how much the new XFL will be like the old XFL. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost to the point, And this is just, just me speaking as a sports fan right now. Right. I'm segueing into basketball, yeah. you know, and I've already been into hockey. So I'm kind of, as far as spring football, yeah, that's great but I'll right. wait until it gets here before I really start to worry about it one way or the other. And well, and the only thing too, we got base. Well, maybe. Um, so when I woke up this morning and you and I, well, I woke up to your tweet about, you know, the lockout. Well, I guess if, if the USFL is going to start good things, start if we even have baseball, I mean, you know, we, when we talked with um, Ron Snyder about the Baltimore stallions and just kind of how that was a confluence of events between the strike the Colts leaving, but I don't think this is going to be history repeating itself, but I think there's an opportunity possibly for the USFL to gain some eyeballs and to gain some interest if there is zero baseball at all. But yeah. And you know, I sometimes wonder what the overlap is. I mean, because you look, you look at a baseball season, that's 162 games. I mean, it seems like someone could be interested in both. I mean, yeah, sure. I'm sure it would help if that, Major League sport is not playing. That opens the door for eyes being on your sport. But even if it is, I'm just not sure if if it makes all that much difference. But, True. Know. Yeah. And we live in a day and age now, let's face it. 
you can sit there on the couch, have the game, one game on another game on your phone. So, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think, well, it's going to be some time before we kind of figure everything out. So, Hey, so with that said, um, I will end here with Scott and I chatting about CFL and uh, what, Hey, what's your pick for this weekend before I let you go in terms of just uh, who's going to win this weekend between the Argos and the Ticats and uh, the Bombers and the Riders. Well, I'm always wrong, but what I hope. Obviously, yeah. You've been, yeah. I've seen you in our, our pick I'm way, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah. I almost have a negative number on picks. I'm all, I've missed more picks than I've made. But, uh, no, I would hope as a Ticats fan that they win, but I kind of think the Argos will win. I think Winnipeg will win on their half. But, you know, we all win when the CFL wins. So it really We do. We do. Yeah. I'll, I'll be watching the great, the great Cup regardless of who's in it. I'll enjoy it. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, yeah. I'm, I'm like you. It's going to be a fun. It's going to be nice on Sunday because you got the great Cup playoffs. you got the Bears-Cardinals. And it's gonna, the weather's going to be crap here in Chicago. So it's perfect. So I need to get all my, uh, you know, Big Ten Championship is on Saturday. So I need to get out Saturday and hopefully Saturday get all my errands run run so I can sit at home comfortably up in my uh, up in my man cave up with all my football stuff and just, uh, you know, just watch a whole crap ton of football. And before I let anybody go, the, um, you know, Scott and I just wrapped up Paul Wood's great book called The Year of the Rocket. So anybody out there is listening who has not read it, please go out and. uh, Go buy it. It's great. As anybody who's following me on Twitter is after the last few days has seen a lot of John Candy memes uh, <laughs> inspired by Paul's great book. It is a great book. I just finished it uh, a while back. Yeah, it's one of those things you pick it up and the next thing you know, you're done with it. And it's just excellent, excellent book. Great story. You know, yeah. You know, it's funny. And before we, we, we head into the interview with Rich, but the great thing about that book was there was so much there I didn't. I mean, we talked to Paul earlier, but he goes into depth. I mean, you can really, John, you can, in a way, you can credit John Candy for saving the CFL before he died by kind of pushing that expansion, which got more money in, which basically bought them time to kind of right the ship. So, you know, I mean, unfortunately, here we're here we are in in 2021 with uncertainty, but I'm just hoping we can get magic. You know, hopefully, we can have somebody who's very visionary come into the CFL. And, and, and figure out a way to kind of right the ship. And I think there are great ideas out there, but my opinion is, and I know, um, you know we've talked about this, but there's a lot of great ideas out there that haven't been tried, at least from what I can see. So hopefully, hopefully this coming off season, we're going to see a renewed effort by the CFL to reach out to younger fans and, you know, a big marketing push to bring people not only in, back into the stadiums, but in front of the TV and, and, and be talking CFL football like, you know, you and I and a lot of our friends on Twitter, and it's a growing group of friends, do. But it sure be nice to see more people. And I think there's a lot more fans out there who would love the CFL if they would just only give it a chance. So, but hey, with that said, um, Greg and Scott signing off from here. On to our interview with Rich Podolsky and uh, enjoy it. And we're going to be talking uh, hopefully here soon.
Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the Truly the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than You know what I'm talking about. You are looking live at the beautiful skyline of Tampa, Florida, where all eyes are focused on this stadium. It's the Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles in an NFL playoff game. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tampa. The weather is beautiful, but isn't it always? We're going to treat Brent, Irv, Jane, Jack, and the Greek to some good old Southern hospitality, but only if they're cheering for the Buccaneers. Today is sponsored by Ryder, the best truck money can rent or lease. Wang, makers of computer and word processing systems. Wang, making the world more productive. And by Trinitron, with a one-gun, one-lens system. And it's from Sony, the one and only. From the CBS Sports Control in Tampa, Florida, here's Brent Musburger. a sea of orange and who would have believed it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the playoffs against the Philadelphia Eagles so we're down to eight teams and Jane and Irv and Jimmy would you believe only four states still represented the playoffs Pennsylvania Florida Texas and California each of those four states with two teams and Jimmy later today out in San Diego it's Houston against the Chargers what about the Oilers injury situation at this moment Brent they tell me that the Bull Pastorini will not play 
Camel will be undecided until absolutely at game time when he will practice to see if he can make it. Burroughs is playing at 90% and Carpenter is out too. In other words, Houston's in rough shape. So Gifford Nielsen will be starting at quarterback for Houston. Jane, do you remember the playoffs a year ago? Oh boy, do I. My very first playoffs with CBS, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Dallas, Minnesota, LA. I can't forget any of that. Everyone thought the games would be close, but as it turned out, only one winner didn't score more than 30 points. Let's go back and show you. It was at Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, and it was going to be the tough Steelers against the defensive-minded Denver Broncos. And what a day for number 32. Franco Harris of the Steelers rushed for a pair of first-half touchdowns, and Pittsburgh built a slim 19-10 lead after the first 30 minutes of play. This was to set the tone throughout the playoffs. Number 32 on the ground and number 88 and 82 in the air. This tight game was busted wide open when that number 88, a ballet wide receiver by the name of Lynn Swan, caught one of two Terry Bradshaw touchdown passes in the final quarter. And here he comes going to the air and making it look routine. 105 yards rushing by Franco, touchdown catches by Lynn and number 82 John Stallworth, all added up to a lopsided 33-10 victory as Pittsburgh advanced to its fourth AFC championship game in five years. Then the next day, it was the rookie sensation who will not play today, Earl Campbell. He rushed for 118 yards as Houston destroyed the New England Patriots in Foxborough. It was to be Chuck Fairbanks last day as coach of the Patriots. And Dan Pastorini, who will be missing later this afternoon, threw three touchdown passes against New England, two of which went to his underrated tight end, Mike Barber, number 86. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of you Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Rich, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you. My pleasure, guys. Well, come, what, what do you want to talk about first? 
<laughs> we got a lot. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Not only your great book, but also um, you know that great article you sent us earlier and your research on Indian Jack, um, CFL star from back in the day. That I'm sure a lot of a lot of CFL fans either know about or have heard about, but really don't know about. So um, yeah, so it's great to have you. So let's talk about Indian Jack first. As a matter sure, of sure. Floor so is let, open. Let me, let me tell you a quick story. My, my wife was a, uh, a Broadway agent, and she and another woman had an agency in New York, and she had an agent working for her by the name of Linda Jacobs, and Linda Jacobs was a very uh, lovely uh, young woman. Uh, we became friends, the three of us. Uh, Linda was a terrific agent, had some great Broadway actors and actresses and singers, and uh, she was a very talented person. And one day uh, we were sitting around and she showed me a football card uh, and it said Indian Jack Jacobs. And it was, uh, you know, a guy, it looked like it was in the 40s or 50s and a guy with a helmet without a face guard. It was a really old. And I said, who is that? And she said, that was my father. And I uh. said, what? Your father was a pro football player? She said, yes, in the Canadian Football League. And, uh, and that's how I started to get interested in it. And she said he was, he was uh, really great. He played for Winnipeg Blue, Blue Bombers. And uh, I said, geez, I'd never heard of him, Linda. She said, as a matter of fact, he played for the Packers, too. So that, you know, as a former sports writer and um, – uh, that I had covered the Dolphins, you know, I, I kept wondering about this guy for years. And finally, I got around to doing something about it, started researching him. And the more research I found on how great this guy was, the more I realized he was a terrific story. And, and in fact, he had one of the greatest days of a Green Bay Packer quarterback ever had and that was in uh, the opening game of the 1947 season. Now, the history of that game was that the Packers were playing the Chicago Bears, who were the, the NFL world champions uh, coming right. into that season. And uh, they had uh, uh, one of the great all-time quarterbacks. Uh, and the, the uh, Packers were the, the dregs of the league. At that time, and uh, they had a new uh, coach, Curly Lambeau, and Lambeau brought in um, uh, Indian Jack, who they acquired from uh, Washington, where he sat on the bench behind another one of the all-time greats. I think it was Sammy Ball in Washington, and uh, he had finally got his chance to play in the opening game. He threw two uh, two, two touchdown passes. He ran for the winning touchdown, and he played 60 minutes. He played defensive back, and he intercepted three passes. That was an unbelievable game. They upset the Bears 29-20, to 20. Uh, but his success didn't last long in Green Bay because he liked to call his own plays, and that didn't go too well with Mr. Lambeau. <laughs> and before you know it, he was uh, uh, on the bench, and he decided instead of re-upping with the Packers, to uh, take an offer from Winnipeg in Canada. And uh, in a, a short time, he re totally revamped that team 
uh, they be, began winning at a, a rate they had never done before uh, to the point where they had to build a new stadium and there was such a demand for tickets and the uh, press called it the house that Jack built. And he was always known as Indian Jack. Uh, his his uh, prior credits, you might say, was uh, he, he grew up on the Indian reservation in Oklahoma, didn't speak any English till he was nine years old and when his father finally sent him to school. And uh, he uh, became uh, known as the greatest athlete ever to walk onto the campus at the University of Oklahoma. I think it was uh, 1938 or 39 when he began there. And he still holds records 80 some years later that he held as the quarterback at Oklahoma. And he was the sensational punter. Uh, and I referenced one particular game, the first time he, uh, Oklahoma ever upset a top 10 team. It was Santa Clara <clears throat> came in to Oklahoma to play. Santa Clara was undefeated in the top 10 at the time. I think it was around 1940. And he punted in that game 16 times. And the, the winning punt was when he punted a 74-yard punt and kept uh, Santa Clara inside their own 10-yard line. And they went on the, to win the game in a very low-scoring game. Sorry I went on so long, guys. No, that's that's great. I was uh, I was going to ask you so many questions uh, about the story you'd written about him, and you you answered most of them. That was a terrific story, by the way. I I was totally unaware of of some of the accomplishments that he had. Now I'm I'm fairly uh, close with Jim Nance and CBS Sports, uh, who wrote the foreword for my book "You Are Looking Live," which is about the NFL today. And the a uh, couple weeks ago, Jim. Uh, did the Packers game, and I realized that he might not know about Indian Jack Jacobs. And I sent him, uh, after after he did the Packers game, I sent him the story on email, and he wrote me back that it was a, he thought it was just a great, great, tremendous story. He said uh, he wished he had it. The next time he does the Packers game, he's going to talk about Indian Jack Jacobs uh, having one of the greatest days that Packer quarterback ever had. And uh, he thanked me profusely. He, uh, he's a real student of history, loves, loves uh, telling the old, the old stories and, and keeping the past alive. Uh, uh, Jim Nance is not only a great uh, broadcaster, he's a great person. Well, that's what I love about him and his broadcast, because he does bring that sense of history and, and reminds the viewers in terms of Kind of, and especially in this day and age, it's very, very important. I think with history and in, in in reading your article and obviously reading your book, there's so much history that just pours out of it. And I know, I mean, yourself and even Jim are, are kind of living history because you were friends, you worked with everybody. I mean, for a long time with some of the greats. And um, can you tell us a story in terms of how you got involved with the the NFL today? I mean, I know it was 1977. Uh, from '77 to '80, that you were um, that you that you wrote for the show. How did that all come about, and um, what were some was, of those experiences uh, like? I was a sports writer. I was covering the Miami Dolphins uh, beginning in 1973 for the Palm Beach Post, and in 1974, uh, the Dolphins uh, hired a new public relations man 
by the name of Bino Cook, who was really mostly known as a college football guru and went on uh, to work. Uh, he Previous to that job, he had worked uh, 10 years uh, at ABC Sports as a runeologist, college football guru. And uh, then he um, uh, wound up down at the Dolphins. He was looking for something different to do. Uh, and Don Shula was not happy that Bino was hired because uh, Don Shula was not consulted by uh, Joe Robbie, the owner of the Dolphins. And the previous PR guy uh, had left uh, uh, to uh, become the sports editor of the Philadelphia Daily News. His name was Mike Rathit. And he was Shula's uh, sidekick, you might say. He, he really worked for Shula and not for uh, Joe Robbie. And Shula liked it that way, having the PR guy in his back pocket. And when Bino showed up at practice, Shula was not very uh, happy about the situation, told him not to come to practice. But he did. And uh, he uh, delighted all the uh, beat writers with his stories about uh, working for Rune Oilage and ABC Sports and college football on TV. And I had always dreamed about working on tele television, television sports. I just sat at his knee, so to speak, listening to his stories. And Bino could really tell some great stories. Um, and he was uh, a master of the one-liner as well. Um, so, uh, Bino and I got to be great friends. And, uh, when he wound up going back to, uh, CB, back to New York to work for an old ABC guy who took over at CBS sports by the name of Barry Frank, uh, Bino said, I'm going to get you in here as a writer or a publicity guy, uh, for the shows. And, uh, he was true to his word. He brought me in, uh, a guy by the name of Michael Pearl, who I knew from Miami, was the producer of the NFL Today, uh, starting in 1975. I knew him from Miami. He worked uh, as a uh, number one sports producer for WTVJ down there. Uh, very talented guy, smart guy. And uh, when they needed a new writer to write uh, some of the script for uh, CBS Sports Spectacular and for the NFL Today, uh, he was all too glad to give me a shot at it. And uh, it worked out fairly nicely. Uh, <clears throat> but the big change in the NFL today, and the reason I wrote the book was uh, because uh, I was so close with Phyllis George and uh, Irv and uh, Jimmy the Greek. And, and uh, I even enjoyed working for Brent, even though Brent didn't hang out with the rest of us like those other people did. Um, so when, when Phyllis passed away, uh, it saddened so many of us. And I started getting back in touch with my old CBS colleagues and, uh, it, it hit me how much the show meant to me and how much it really meant to the country. And as I dug in to a little research, I realized that in 1975, there was an enormous change, not only in the way the NFL today was being broadcast, but in sports broadcasting uh, altogether. Before 1975, none of the pregame shows were live. They were all taped days in advance. They were all done with middle-aged white men. Uh, and, you know, having a, an African-American like Irv Cross on a show like that was unheard of. Having a woman like Phyllis George on a show like that was unheard of. 
it just wasn't done. But in 75, a guy named Bob Wessler took over CBS Sports. He, he decided to, to go live with the show, to bring in Phyllis George. He cast her. He cast Irv Cross uh, to do a strategy. And, uh, of course, he brought in Brent Musburger from Chicago, where uh, uh, Wessler had been uh, running WBBM in Chicago. And uh, uh, he was a big star at CBS among the executives. And uh, when he got a chance to run sports, he was like a kid in a candy store. So uh, it was very interesting uh, how the show had tremendously changed from, from uh, middle-aged people to young people. Phyllis was 25. Irv and Brent were 35 when they started. Um, the show went from having a whole bunch of tape stuff to live, exciting news. Uh, Brent opened every show by saying, you are looking live as they showed the stadiums. And let me tell you how that, that phrase came about. Uh, early in the first season that they were all together in 75, they were holding a production meeting. Bob Fishman, the director, said, you know, I got a couple of buddies who like to bet on the games, and they always want to know what the weather is. And uh, we were thinking, you know, how can we let them know easily? And then uh, Brent came up with this. He said, well, when we do this whip, they called it a whip around, and they went from live shot at one stadium to another. He said, well, when I'm saying you are looking live at Soldier Field or when you are looking live at Vet Stadium, uh, when, when we're showing those stadiums, I could say you are looking live. That's what Brent said. And they'll know that that is the current weather at those stadiums. And it was really a tip off to the gamblers, that phrase, uh, what the weather was. And, um, uh, it became a show uh, the following year when they added Jimmy the Greek with a lot of gambling references. And the first year, the ratings were tremendous. They, they uh, uh, more than doubled the previous year. And the second year, they doubled again when Jimmy the Greek was added with the excitement of talking about point spreads without actually mentioning the point spread. He would get around it by saying, oh, they'll win by a field goal or the I, I think they'll win 21 to 17. And if the line was six, you know, he was saying, take the underdog. Well, it's I'm funny. You know, you, you should, yeah, it's funny. No, no, it's funny. You should mention that because until I read your book and I, you know, I, I'm going to be 55 here. I mean, I saw the show, you know, started, but until I read your book, it did dawn on me. That's what he was conveying by giving the scores. Right. Well, you were, you were pretty young then. You weren't into, uh, pull sheets or gambling or, or a friendly little side bet. But, uh, you know, the Greek, uh, when he came on the show, he was probably the most famous of the four of them. Uh, and by the way, the cover of the book has that iconic black and white photo of the four of them, Brent, Phyllis, uh, the Greek, and Irv uh, there. And Phyllis uh, is not look, trying to look like a, a hottie on Fox Sports uh, she is dressed uh, for work with a uh, sport uh, jacket of sorts or a suit jacket. Uh, she was uh, a hardworking bee on this show. Uh, but getting back to the Greek, the Greek was really uh, the best known of the group. Uh, Brent was a total unknown unless he lived in Chicago. Uh, and Irv was only basically known in Philadelphia where he did some NFL games that went back to the Eagles, where he was a star player. 
So, uh, and Phyllis was Miss America, but sports fans didn't necessarily know her at all. Uh, the Greek, though, was very famous. Uh, first uh, in 1948 uh, for uh, winning a million dollars betting on Harry Truman to win the presidential election. A week before the election, he was at, Truman was a 20 to one underdog and the Greek uh, was shaving and his sister said, don't grow a mustache. And he said, why? And she said, it reminds women of Hitler. Now th this is 1948, uh, you know, and it wasn't uh, only a couple of years after uh, the Second World War. And he said, it reminds women of Hitler. And the next thing he did is he looked at the front page of the Chicago Tribune and there was a big picture of Thomas Dewey, who was the governor of New York and he was the big favorite to win the presidential election. And all the Greeks saw was Dewey's big black mustache. <laughs> and he said, oh my God, Truman's got a shot. And uh, so he, he sent out three ladies to do some research. He sent them to the local A&P in Steubenville, Ohio, where he lived. And he told him to interview 500 women and asked them one question. How do you feel about men with mustaches? And 400 of the women said they didn't like men with mustaches. They preferred them without. That was enough for the Greek. He <laughs> went to uh, New York to Lindy's, uh, which was famous for its cheesecake. That was where all the bookies hang out, hung out and Damon Runyon was uh, hanging out there too at the same time. And uh, he bet with three different guys, a total of 50,000 between uh, one gave him odds of 17 to one, 120 to one and 122 to one. And I asked him, why did you take the 17 to one? If you were getting 20 and 22, he said, I was guaranteed the guy paying would pay off who was giving me 17 to one. I wasn't sure about the others, he said, but they all paid. And a million dollars in those days is probably worth a three or four hundred million today. It was an enormous amount. The Greek was not only rich, but two nights later, he became uh, nationally famous when Walter Winchell, who was the most powerful media person in the country, started his radio show, knocking on his, his teletype, saying, Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Let me tell you that Harry Truman wasn't the only big winner on election night. So was a young Greek boy from Steubenville, Ohio, Jimmy the Greek Snyder, who came down with over a million dollars. Something like that, he, he said on the air. It went out there. The Greek uh, became very, very famous, and he couldn't go anywhere uh, in the country without being recognized. So uh, that was, was so ahead of his time. I mean, you just think where we're at now, what we have now, what we see on TV, if the Greek were only alive today to see what professional sports is. He'd laugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd laugh, you know. You know, I tell a story in the, in the beginning of the book and the author's note about when I was working on um, – uh, a sh show called CBS Sports Spectacular. Um, my job was to write the lead-ins and the bridges uh, to the taped uh, events that they showed. And uh, they'll always check the AP uh, news machine for updates on news. Well, I realized uh, early on that 
AP did not update college football scores very often. And uh, thanks to uh, Bino Cook's help, I got the phone numbers at about 40 press boxes in the country. Uh, well, one Saturday in October, we had Pete Rose on live uh, to co comment uh, about uh, the baseball playoffs. His team wasn't in it that year. And uh, he's just uh, standing around while the taped events were going on. And he sees me calling these press boxes, getting scores. And uh, he starts to listen in. And then he comes over to me and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting updates on these games. He pulls out his pull sheet and says, can you get me the Ohio State score? And I said, oh, okay. I had heard he liked to bet, bet a little bit. So I called Ohio State. And I said, this is a CBS Sports calling. Can you give me an update on your game? Yeah, Ohio State's winning 20 to 13 or whatever. And I gave it to Rose. Well, Rose asked me to do that two more times before the show ended at 6 o'clock. And when uh, the show ended, I walked out along with the producer and the director. But Pete Rose was sitting at my desk dialing that same number, asking for an update on the game. <laughs> Without identifying himself, he, he was saying this is CBS Sports. That's, that's how sick he was at that time. So, oh, yeah, gambling's really changed a lot on television, to be sure. Uh, uh, but, you know, in, in those days, uh, it was taboo. Pete Rozelle didn't want Jimmy the Greek on. He didn't want any talk about point spreads. But Bob Wessler didn't care. He said, we're not, we're not uh, uh, doing anything that's illegal. And, uh, you know, we're not actually giving out the point spread. So, you know, we're just entertaining uh, the, the public. In fact, Pete Rozelle had gone before Congress and stated that he thought only 2% of the viewers of NFL games actually bet on the games. And when Bino Cook heard that, Bino said, well, if that's true, they all live on my block. <laughs> so um, that's great. it was an interesting time. The Greeks, the Greek uh, appearances, he also came on with a segment called uh, 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 The Greek's Grapevine, which was supposedly insider information that he was getting. A lot of it was uh, from uh, his friend, Al Davis, the owner of the Oakland Raiders. And a lot of that uh, was unconfirmed rumors. So uh, Brent and uh, the producers were getting a little tired of the Al Davis stuff. And they, uh, they tried to get the Greek to uh, get other uh, uh, verification of his uh, insider news before he went out on the air with it. Uh, but one particular Sunday, in October of 1980, the Greek had a legitimate piece of news, and that was that Notre Dame was going to fire their football coach, Dan Devine, and replace him with, of all things, a high school coach from Akron, Ohio, named Jerry Faust. Nobody else had this. This was huge I news. Re I remember that episode. That was huge news. Nobody else had it. Uh, they rehearsed it before they went on live. When they went on live, uh, instead of throwing it to the Greek, Brent, and saying, uh, Greek, what he got for us, Brent blurted out the Greek's news and uh, left the Greek flat-footed. Uh, he stole his thunder. Uh, uh, Mike Pearl, the producer, said he really stole the headline is what he did. And uh, 
the Greek was furious. Uh, he was boiling over. He was already upset, thinking he was getting shorted of air, on airtime uh, by Brent uh, throughout the season. And when everybody got together that night at a place called Pear Trees in New York, uh, it was a bar and a restaurant uh, the CBS crowd usually went to on the weekends. Uh, Brent and the Greek wound up at the same table. There were about eight people there. And uh, the Greek kept complaining and everybody had too much to drink. And after uh, one complaint led to another, Brent got up, walked over to the Greek and said, you know, Greek, uh, I can make you disappear anytime I want. Uh, and at that point, uh, Greek just punched him right in the face. And uh, the place was full of media people, not just CBS people. So it got out, made the Washington Post. Uh, a few days later, it was front page in the New York papers. And it was a cause celeb, you know, and uh, it, it was really big news at the time. You know, these celebrities were fighting. And uh, we opened the next show. I was actually the writer on that show in uh, October 26, 1980. We opened that show with boxing gloves in front of each guy, Phyllis George dinging a bell, saying round one. And that's how we started the show. It was the highest rated show of the year. And uh, Van Gordon Sauter, who was uh, then the president of CBS Sports, didn't uh, suspend either guy, didn't fine either guy. Uh, his attitude was that uh, if we could just get them to settle down and apologize to each other and work together, we're going to wind up having a really highly rated uh, season on the, the NFL today. And that's exactly what happened. Who was the first one to make peace among the two? Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think the producer, really, Mike Pearl, uh, made the peace. Uh, uh, then uh, he he just got them together and and got them to agree it. Agree, but you know they never uh, really respected each other after that. Uh, on the surface, they always said that they got along. In fact. Eight years later, the Greek was on the David Letterman show, ostensibly to talk about politics, uh, which he was still in, known as an expert. Uh, Letterman had him on to talk about the 88 election. But then he asked him if he had any fights with Brent recently. And the Greek said, you know, we've been together 13 years. You know, even uh, your marriages." have a fight now and then. We had one uh, uh, argument in 13 years, and you guys are still talking about it. He said, actually, we're the best of friends. Well, it turned out they weren't the best of friends. <laughs> and, uh, and did you know, I mean, obviously what, you know, Jimmy the Greek, it's a sad ending with him, but did you, were you still in contact with him after he left the show? I mean, um um, Scott I was, and I were talking. I was. What, how, how? I mean, obviously, we. I mean, we all. Anybody who's seen the thirty for thirty is knows the story. But why wasn't he? I mean, obviously, what happened when he said the statements he did killed his career. But as a person, what what was that like seeing him later in those years? It was sad. Um, you know, I um, I had. Um, uh, I, I knew Jimmy going back to Miami days. Uh, 
and he was uh, king of the world in those days, even before the NFL today. Um, he had a syndicated uh, newspaper column and 300 newspapers that ran three times a week. Uh, he had a radio show that was syndicated around the country. Uh, he would, there was this uh, place on uh, uh, Arthur Godfrey uh, uh, Boulevard called The Forge, which was one of the great restaurant and bar uh, places in uh, all of Miami Beach. And uh, he always had the best table there. You know, he, he was kind of a god in the sports world uh, in those days. And when I came to CBS, uh, we knew each other. Uh, and uh, he was got there the year before me. And we uh, started going to the track every Monday. We were both uh, horse racing fans. And uh, 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 Greek always bought lunch and I always drove. And um, we had a great time uh, and hung out together and always stayed friends. And even after uh, he was fired by CBS for making those controversial comments on Martin Luther King weekend in 1988. Uh, and, um, you know, the Greek uh, after that was, uh, you know, he had lost his, uh, his, his edge. He had lost uh, his ability to earn a living. Uh, when CBS uh, stopped paying him. And he no longer had the column. He no longer had a public relations business. And he had to uh, count on gambling to make a living. And uh, he wasn't as sharp as he was in his 20s and 30s. And he was losing. And, you know, he was trying to borrow money from all of his friends, including me. Um, and uh, I just wasn't in a position, I had just gotten married and I wasn't in a position to lend them money, unfortunately, or fortunately for my sake, because I probably would have never got it back. And I uh, relayed a story that Bob Fishman, uh, the director, uh, told at the end of the book, the Greek had uh, been separated from his wife and moved to a kind of a, a shabby hotel in Las Vegas and met Fishman for dinner uh, one night when Fishman was out there and uh, was dressed in a, a tattered jacket and greasy long hair. And it's, he said it was very sad. And of course, Fishman got the check at the end of the dinner. Uh, and before he left, the Greek said, can you do me one favor? And he said, what's that? He said, can you lend me a hundred dollars? Well, that, that was such a sad thing to hear. Um, yeah. that he was in that kind of shape. Yeah. And uh, within a year or two, he, he had passed away. And uh, I was uh, very sad to hear that, hear that. And I was uh, extremely sad not to be able to make the funeral. I was in Europe at the time. Mm. But um, he, was, uh, he, he was quite a character, uh, one of the most interesting people I, I knew in my life. And uh, I'll never in re revolutionary too. I mean, just you know, looking back at at where we we've gone, we've come with the NFL today, and even the NBC show. I mean, it's it's amazing to see the progression to where we are now, as you know, as football fans and with gambling and everything, and also too the role of you know inclusiveness. And on there's one other person who you talk about in the book, and actually, I wanted to ask you more questions because I had a crush on her when I was in school, <laughs> but that's Jane Kennedy. Oh, Jane Kennedy. Wow. 
Kane, yes. Kane wow. <laughs> Kane was gorgeous. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And as sweet as can be. Uh, so nice. Uh, she, uh, uh, she was Miss Ohio when she was 20 years old, was in the Miss USA contest. Uh, Jane Kennedy, for, for your CFL fans who are uh, too, old, uh, too young to remember, was a gorgeous African-American young lady, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, uh, she was the first African-American woman on a show like this. Uh, she replaced Phyllis George in 1978 when Phyllis uh, left the show. Uh, she wound up leaving the show for two years. CBS didn't know if Phyllis was coming back. Phyllis had gone through a, a, a rough marriage with Robert Evans. Uh, it was a very short marriage, but it was not uh, what she had expected. She went home to live with her family in uh, Denton, Texas. Um, and uh, during that time, she, uh, when she was coming back, uh, she met the future governor of Kentucky, John Y. Brown, they wound up getting married. And uh, when she was getting a little bored of campaigning for him, she asked if she could come back on the show. But for those two years, Jane Kennedy had replaced her. Uh, Jane didn't have any experience doing live TV, but she had done quite a few uh, tape shows and series. And she was on the Dean Martin show. And uh, she was fairly well known around uh, Hollywood. Uh, and when she came to CBS Sports, she was one of 16 who auditioned for the role uh, of replacing Phyllis George. And she won that audition, hands down, according to Brent. And um, uh, she became very famous uh, in a short time uh, on the show, got tremendous publicity. Uh, and her career seemed to be going in a great direction until uh, one Sunday uh, at halftime, they came back to the set and instead of Brent going to Irv and saying, you know, let's talk about the, the, the scores on these games, he said, to, he said to Jane, Jane, why don't you take us around the league? And that meant read the scores. And Jane had never done that. She, she was a football fan, but she wasn't. Uh, type of fan that guys are growing up. She didn't know how to read the scores. She didn't know how to, that, that uh, the team winning should always be first, uh, et cetera. And she gave a lot of the scores kind of upside down. And uh, Brent just let her hang out the dry. And uh, it was really embarrassing for her. It was the beginning of the end for her. And, um, uh, when the producer, Mike Pearl, asked Brent why he did that, Brent said, oh, I was just having fun with it, according to Pearl. And um, uh, Fishman uh, said in his earpiece, that was a real son of a bitch move, Brent. But nothing else, you know, he was never uh, 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 punished in any way for that. <clears throat> and it sadly, uh, it, it was the beginning of a lot of the press trying starting to challenge her knowledge of the game and what is she doing on a show like this? Right. Well, she, she, uh, Phyllis didn't know football any better than Jane did. You know, in fact, Jane grew up 
uh, adoring uh, the great Jim Brown on the Cleveland Browns and became friends with him later on when she got to Hollywood. And she was friends with uh, Muhammad Ali as well. Yeah. But um, when Phyllis said she'd like to come back, instead of uh, slow, slowly or uh, moving Phyllis in and moving Jane over to like CBS Sports Spectacular, which they could have done, they fired Jane really for no reason at all. And uh, they wound up having to pay her a year's salary uh, to, to get her to accept uh, the job. She wound up going over to uh, a show called oh, uh, Greatest Sports Legends and hosted that show for six years before she decided to go back to uh, Los Angeles and start a family. How is she, how is she doing now? Uh, she's doing great. She's kind of rebooting her career a little bit. I think you'll be seeing some things from Jane. Oh, God, uh, I hope so. She's still absolutely lovely and still beautiful. Um, I'll, I'll let her know how you feel, Greg. All right, thanks. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a school it's a schoolboy crush, but you know, that's that's the one thing. I mean, you talk about you know, for those of us who grew up on the NFL today, that whole I mean, your the whole team you were with, and, and it's funny because Brent Musburger is from Chicago. I kind of started watching football after he left Chicago. So I've only heard the stories about him at channel two and, and, and things like that, but it, your book really brought back some great memories for me. And um, if you could tell everybody where they can find the book, I mean, I know you've been, you've been to a lot of, you've been on a lot of shows. Have you been on Rich Eisen show yet? I have not. Um, they were talking about your book one day and uh, not that yeah. long ago. So I'm hope, hopefully you're going to get it. Hopefully somebody will reach out and have you on the show. Cause I mean, I love hearing these stories. I was, it, uh, is it Rich Eisen with uh, NFL network? Yes. Yeah. I was on the, uh, the good morning football show. Maybe. Oh, okay. I was on uh, live uh, in the morning uh, way back at the end of September. Right. Uh, with uh, those, those uh, three stalwarts. Yeah, uh, Kay Adams was terrific. Yeah, what I love um, about that show is they 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 do they do bring back they talk about the history and so uh, and I know when Rich talked about your book on his show, I, my ears perked up because I think we had just kind of you and I had started exchanging emails and I'm like, hey, uh, so it was kind that was kind of cool for 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 a guy like me and you know Scott. I mean, we're just we we like doing this history podcast because we do it for the love of the game. So, hey, where can everybody find your book? Well, normally I would say Amazon, but Amazon okay. has been out of books for a while. Uh, my publisher tells me that they should be getting books again starting uh, this weekend. Uh, so if you want to order with Amazon, I'm pretty sure they'll have it. I know Barnes & Noble has books now, but we're, we're into a third printing. Uh, oh, wow. Um, uh, I, um, I have outsold Chris Christie's book, and he's been on every major network news <laughs> show. And uh, all I'm doing is podcasts. <laughs> well, the great thing about football is it brings everybody together, no matter what side of the aisle you are on. And I, and Scott and I have these conversations offline often that the one thing we love talking, that's why we love doing this podcast is because we get to meet great guys like you who, you know, we're there and um, it's just, it's just amazing how football kind of brings us all together. doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter nationality. If you love football, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, for, for Scott and I, that's all, that's all, that's all we can ask from anybody who comes on our show. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. And also you're on social media. I know you follow us on Twitter. Let everybody know where to find you on Twitter. Yeah. At Rich Podolsky, P-O-D-O-L-S-K-Y at Rich Podolsky uh, on Twitter. And um, uh, I wanted to tell your, your, sure. your CFL fans, if they're looking for that, um, article about Indian Jack Jacobs, they could Google uh, Indian Jack Jacobs Sooner Magazine, S-O-O-N-E-R. It's the uh, University of Oklahoma's alumni magazine. It goes out to 50,000 alumni. And uh, they were all too happy uh, to uh, uh, hire me to to write the story for them. And uh, there's uh, tremendous photos of him in that. Oh, those photos are amazing. And, you know, I was talking with Scott before we went on and I didn't realize it until I was looking at things this morning, but you know, I know the LA Rams get credit for having the first logo on a helmet. The Sooners did. If, 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 if what I'm seeing is correct, I don't know if any other college teams had logos on their helmets. I'm not sure, but boy, when I saw those photos in Linda's house um, of her father, it just um, gave me goosebumps and chills. Yeah. And Daryl Royal, the great coach of uh, the University of Texas, called him the greatest football player, college football player he had ever seen, uh, Indian Jack Jacobs. And he, as a kid, hitchhiked over 100 miles to see <clears throat> Oklahoma play Santa Clara in that game. Uh, it, 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 it just some heartwarming stories in there. Yeah. And I got to talk to a lot of his old teammates, including uh, Bud Grant. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask you, how's how's the coach doing? I mean, I don't know how long ago he, was you talked to him, but he sounded like uh, he was still in his fifties. He'd sharp oh, as good. Tack, you know, just great. And and some of his old, old teammates had some great stories about uh, Jack Jacobs was not only a great quarterback, he was a great commander. Uh, I would want. I would want to be in his foxhole anymore. <laughs> Anyhow, nice talking to you guys. You too, Rich. You too, Rich. Rich. Hey, hey, Rich, we're going to let you go here, but hang on at the end after we hit the stop button. We just want to talk to you in just uh, for about a couple minutes before we uh, before we sure. let you go. Hey, for everybody who's listening, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll hope to see you soon um, now that we're rolling into Christmas. So happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. And if we don't hear from, and I'm sure we'll hear, you'll be hearing from us before Christmas. But if not, definitely have a happy holiday. Rich, you too. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. Thanks, Rich. That was great. That was. Uh, thanks. Bye.
destiny, so fight on, Blue Bombers, fight! We'll shout as you go charging by, we'll send up our cheers to the sky. Behind you we'll stand, you're the best in the land, and we'll shout out our praise on high. Fight, fight, let's fight down the field yard by yard. Let's fight down the field, hit them hard. For we want a touchdown team and we want a chance to scream, so fight on the farmers' fight. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.